there. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. Always so good to be back in a room with you. So thank you for being here today. And a big thanks to my guest. Y'all are in for such a treat today with Kate O'Rourke. Kate is a certified life coach focused on helping overwhelmed moms ditch the shoulds Y'all know we've talked about the shoulds over here, (laughs) and guilt to find presence and joy in motherhood. As a single mom of two boys, Kate has been able to set boundaries, let go of mom guilt, and manage her stress and overwhelm with the same tools she teaches her clients. Kate is also the host of Reclaim Your Life with Kate podcast, but she's also a school psychologist, which has her on the front lines of the emotional lives of our children. Kate? I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I always love our conversations, so this will be a good one. I totally agree, and I love that this time we actually have an audience for our conversation, so I've had the (laughs) privilege of being on uh, Reclaim Your Life with Kate, which was wonderful, but I'm so happy to have you here Um, because, yes, we have had a lot of conversations over the course of our, I said, our our partners in coaching crime relationship, Um, and since, you know, I'm always talking about confidence. Kate's talking about those shoulds, the guilt. You know, it's things that get in the way of self-confidence. And as I talk to Kate about her her vantage point as a school psychologist, but also as a mom, um, a lot of these conversations lead back to anxiety. I find that with my clients, and Kate, I know with you too, anxiety is often that that barrier towards self-confidence. And if you are the mother of a teen or if you are a teen listening, you're probably intimately acquainted with anxiety. And as I did research for this episode, um, you're not alone. <laughs> I, I found so many studies. I mean, you can go down a Google rabbit hole, if you will. Um, one saying that from the National Institute of Health, saying nearly one in three of all adolescents ages 13 to 18 will experience an anxiety disorder. And these numbers have been steadily rising. No doubt the pandemic is part of that. Um, And then according to the National Institute of Mental Health, teens have a higher level of anxiety than adults. I found that one shocking, but really, Mm -hmm. as as I sat with it, it made such sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that the National Institute of Mental Health found that 19% of U.S. adults have suffered from an anxiety disorder, while nearly 32% of teens have suffered. And it also said, which, you know, Again, I understood. Teen girls suffer from anxiety disorder more than any other group. Kate, what do you think is contributing to this rise in anxiety disorders that we are seeing just across the board? And and I want to also say anxiety disorders and anxiety full stop. Right. So I think you pointed it out, right? When we get to the point where we'll talk about what it gets to the point where it's considered a disorder and needs some kind of treatment, right? But you did mention with the pandemic being a huge, probably a huge part of those 
statistics, right? We've all um, gone through this worldwide shutdown, really. And for teenagers, especially, their uh, social lives are the bread and butter of teenage years, right? It's just the thing that they want the most, that they gravitate towards the most, that socialization. That's the time where they are, you know, increasing their independence from their parents, leaning more towards their peers. And for a lot of them, that was completely shut off for them with the pandemic. So I think that's why it contributed maybe to some of those rising numbers. Um, but I definitely do see it in the school setting. Um, I myself have, I think I was born anxious. <laughs> so I have a long uh, relationship with anxiety. Uh, and it, it's, you know, it was in my teenage years, but also up into adulthood. But even being in the school, so I, I know it, I recognize it. I definitely see an increase in our, our students who are, and they're, they're talking about it, which is great too, right? They're, I never even said the word anxiety when I was a teenager or even knew what it meant or why, you know, and now we have kids that actually are understanding what it is and they're expressing it, which is a good thing, but there's definitely a rise. Yeah. 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 I certainly the pandemic, if we think about, you know, what our brain would hate the most, um, uncertainty, Mm-hmm. is is one of those that it would breed anxiety and the pandemic was such an uncertain time on so many levels um you know we we've never experienced anything like this before mm-hmm. i can't see my friends which again for a teenager is this safe space mm-hmm. and and we don't know what's going to happen next and if you think about different households you know mom or dad are out of a job or mom or dad have to go to work that's now this dangerous setting. Mm-hmm. It's a very uncertain time, which mm-hmm. it makes sense about the anxiety. And yes, if you don't have that outlet of friends, it it just exacerbates it. Yeah. There's lots of layers. And I think too, like our kids that were maybe kind of on the bubble where they had some signs of, of anxiety and some things were coming up for them. When you give them, so now these are the kids that were actually glad to be at home, right? During the pandemic. These are the kids that were kind of already on the line of not really being engaged with school, not connected, and were kind of had the potential to have school refusal. Now you let them stay at home for a year and a half and getting them back into that classroom and to function for a full day, five days a week. uh, I've seen a lot of struggle there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think you know, as we're talking about, and that is the next question I'm going to ask you, that definition between healthy anxiety and cause for concern, you know, those that were really struggling, those that really do struggle with anxiety, the only way to, aside from, you know, if you need medication or you need medical mental health intervention is to face that anxiety, mm-hmm. is to be able to go to school and say, it's okay. You know, you're, you're going to be okay. You are in a safe space. Um, but then for those who might have been anxious to go at the, before the pandemic and they weren't strengthening that muscle of overcoming, facing their anxiety and overcoming it and managing it. Yeah. That's just like 10 steps backwards. Right. It just led into this avoidant, which we know if we avoid the thing, it just makes the thing 10 times harder. So yeah, I think that's a piece of it too, for sure. Absolutely. So tell me, Kate, speak to that a little bit, because I said, you know, there's anxiety disorders and that where there is cause for concern. And that's when you would call in a mental health uh, 
expert, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, go to your school psychologist, um, or look for medication versus just healthy anxiety. Talk to us a little bit about that, that fine line between the two. Yeah, I think we've kind of shifted in our society to think that all anxiety is bad. And if someone expresses anxiety or has a worry, uh, we pathologize that a little bit more than maybe we need to. Meaning that anxiety, we all have anxiety. It's there for a purpose, right? It's our um, survival, right? If we weren't anxious about the noise that we heard in the bushes, right? If we didn't worry that that might be a tiger and act and run away, we're getting eaten by the tiger, right? So anxiety is a survival technique that is still necessary, right? I still want to, if I feel like I'm walking down the street and someone's walking behind me, I, I want to have a little bit of anxiety and take some steps to maybe keep myself safe, right? So anxiety in teens might look like being anxious for a test, uh, it might be, you know, really anxious the first night of school, not sleeping the, the the night before school. That's okay. That's typical anxiety that we all experience. Uh, we all have, it's our body's way of telling us like, oh, I think this might be a threat or we may not be safe. And, you know, we just want to be, our senses want to be aware of that and, and act if we need to. So that's sort of like the healthy anxiety, right? Uh, when it becomes a concern, it's, and I don't want to give a blanket statement or description, but the way that I kind of think about it and talk about it with parents and even have experienced it in my own um, family with my own children is when it's impacting daily life, right? So when your child's anxiety is impacting maybe if, if the family can go out in the community and where they can go, right? Especially, you know, we did see a lot of health anxiety come out of the pandemic as well. Um, mm. Kids obviously being anxious about getting sick and then coming home and giving it to a grandparent or, you know. Um, so if it's starting to really impact your daily life and your uh, ability to just function as a family and do the things that need to be done. If it's impacting school, if you're seeing some school refusal. Now, a lot of kids probably will say they don't want to go to school, right? Totally. But when you have, right, when you have like adamant refusal, I cannot get out of this house. I cannot get out of this car um, to, to walk inside, right? Then that's when, you know, we're concerned. And if it's lasting for longer periods of time, um, that's when it, it's it's something that you may want to reach out and get support from someone. And it can start at school. Uh, it could be privately. You know, there are many different avenues that where you can reach out and just talk to someone. Um, but that's how I kind of think of it. It's like it's it's typical in, in situations where if you think that you would be nervous or anxious about something, it would be typical that your teen would be anxious in that moment. But when it's really impacting them, if they're not if they're, you know, not going out with friends anymore like they used to, right? If it's keeping, if they love basketball, but they won't try out for the team. Um, if it's just really impacting the things that they used to enjoy and they're they're not able to get over those hurdles, then it might be a sign, you know, that it's it's time to reach out and get some help. Okay. Okay. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. I think a typical teen would probably him and Han moan about going to school and would typically feel that anxiety if they have that Spanish quiz today or mm -hmm. that AP class coming up. Um, but when it becomes debilitating right. and with frequency, that is when we should be reaching out to get support beyond ourselves. Right. And I want to say here too, like, you know, you are the expert on your kid though. So if you have, it's just in your gut that this is just maybe not 
developmentally, typically what you would think your child would be, you know, engaging in or how they would be reacting. You do know them the best. There's no harm in just talking to someone to see, hey, is this something I need to worry about or really keep my eye on? Yeah. And that's especially tricky for our teens. And we think about our teen girls who their bodies and brains are changing so much. And so there is that kind of discrepancy of, is this normal? And we always use normal in air quotes around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this normal just puberty, transitions, her, mm-hmm. you know, going through her developmental changes that she's acting so different? Or is this a cause for concern? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it, I, I love what Kate said. And I think that that speaks to why, you know, you work with moms. And I think we forget this as moms. I know I do too, that there isn't, you know, a one-way right way to be raising our kids. There isn't a one-way right way to be, you know, the best mom. I guess I'll put best in air quotes too there mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. but we do know best for our, for our kids, for our teens. We know best yeah, for yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Trust your gut. And, and, you know, it's never, it's never harmful to just reach out right and talk to either, you know, someone, you know, at the school that you trust or your doctor and just say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. You know, what are your, what are your thoughts about it? But you're right. It's very easy to question as a mom, when your kid engages, what are just typical developmental behaviors and think, Oh, there's something really wrong. I need to be concerned. I need to, this is a problem I have to solve, right? We're big problem solvers. And so, you know, your kid wanting to spend a lot of time in their room, very typical. But if you see that as, oh, they're really pulling away from me, they're, you know, it it just, yeah, you have to kind of like, that first question is like, is this normal? Was I kind of like this, you know, at this age, um, talking to other moms, is your kid doing this? And getting, you know, that line, like you said, between what's just sort of developmental and what's cause for concern. Totally. And I think you offer something so timely as this episode's coming out right around when everyone's going back to school. Mm-hmm. And we all need to remember that transitions are breeding grounds for anxiety. There's that uncertainty. I don't know, you know, what the school year will look like. There might be friends I haven't seen in a long time. Obviously, the academic um, pressures or just even the academic, the academics move up every year. You know, the the subject matter gets more challenging. So I think that that is certainly a time that we should expect heightened anxiety mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just to really be, you know, open to it. And, and I say this lovingly, yeah, be on the lookout because I love what Kate offered. Anxiety, it keeps us safe. It keeps us alive, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it shouldn't stop us from our life. And I also love what you said, and it, it speaks to me so much. Certainly one of the reasons I became a coach and, you know, I, I wear this well as a mom, um, we're problem solvers and we really want to help our kids. And when we see them struggling at any age or stage, you know, I see this with my clients who are are well out of the house or into their 20s and 30s. Um, mom's like, I want to help. So what what can a mom do to help her teen or to help her young adult child manage anxiety. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is to talk about it, right? It's, uh, I think there's still a stigma around mental health, but it's, it's getting a a million times better. Uh, but I think there still is a stigma there. So I think it's important to have an open, safe space 
and validate them, right? So one of the biggest things as problem solvers, as moms, if my kiddo is saying, I'm so like, I, I'm so scared about this test that I have. Like, there's no way I'm going to pass it. And then I'm going to fail the class. And then I'm not going to be able to get into college. And then, I, right. And it just spirals. Mm-hmm. Again, part of that anxiety is probably a little bit typical, you know, being nervous before a test, right? But as a mom, what we often want to say is, oh, sweetie, you have straight A's. You're so smart. You're going to be fine. You're going to, that can feel really invalidating to someone that is in that spiral. And it can also send the message that you shouldn't feel anxious right now. This is something wrong with you, right? Mm. You should recognize that you'll be fine and you'll, right? It can feel pretty invalidating, right? It's sort of like if you're really upset and someone tells you to relax, like how effective is that ever, <laughs> right? <sighs> same thing, same thing. When you are in or your child is in an anxious kind of spiral and telling them to it's no big deal. You're going to be fine. It it can at times feel invalidating. So the best advice I give there is just validate it. Of course you feel that way. Yeah. I'd be anxious too, if I have a big test coming up and, and, and let it there that validating them and is an, is enough having them just feel seen. You don't have to solve a problem for them. You don't have to give them the perfect phrase to say to themselves. You don't have to remind them of all the times that they've gotten A's on tests you can just say, of course you feel that way. Yeah, I would too. And just sit with them. And while you're sitting with them, you can do something we call co-regulation. So that would be taking deep breaths, maybe yourself and modeling for them how to be taking deep breaths in the moment, or just lightly touching their arm to ground them to the moment. And again, just, we have trouble with silence, right? We want to fill that silence with all of these Uh, ideas and suggestions and strategies and things that they can do. But sometimes they really just need us to sit in it with them and validate it and, and they'll be okay. They'll be able to let the feeling come over them and then it'll go back out like a wave and they can take the next steps to move forward. So that's Mm -hmm. one way is to validate. Um, Another way is understanding what anxiety is, right? It is that safety mechanism. It's that strategy that we have that our brain gives us to stay safe. What the problem is, is that we're no longer being chased by tigers, right? So that calculus test feels to your body, to your child's body and brain, like a tiger chasing them. It feels so real. Our brain does not distinguish between real and imagined anxiety or threats, So even just thinking about something, all the what ifs and the worries feels to your body just as much of an act as an actual threat. And so what anxiety does is it overestimates the threat, right? The calculus test is a tiger and it underestimates our ability to handle that threat and get through it and cope with it. So the biggest things to do with our kids is to help them. Is that a, is that a big threat? medium threat, small, right? Maybe have them try to understand the scale of the threat, the thing that is worrying them so much. And then reminding them of their ability to cope with difficult situations and reminding them of, hey, you know, remember when you were trying to learn to ride your bike and you just couldn't get it and you kept going and you find you fell 15 times and you remember how you scraped your knee, right? And reminding them that they got back up and they did it. That's, I call that the self-trust inventory. So if you can just remind them of all these times in their lives that they have been able to trust themselves to get through something really difficult, that helps them see like, oh, okay, I may bomb this calculus test. I might, I might fail it, 
but I can, I can handle it. I, I have the ability to deal with it and take the steps that I need to, to get through it. That is so good. First of all, I love that self-trust inventory. I do this with my daughter often. So I, I, I feel so validated. Thanks, Kate. Of, um, you know, when she's really struggling, and of course, my knee-jerk instinct, because I'm a mom and I want to be a good mom and a good mom in my mind. So many air quotes flying over here, people. Um, you know, fixes it, helps her fix it. The confidence coach in me knows, no, she does. I need to validate. I need to let her sit in it. And so I'll often ask her, I was like, can I, can I hug you? Because I know that love will feel good in that moment. And then I ask her, can I tickle your arm? And she'll say no to the hug a lot, but she'll let me tickle her arm and to know that it's so grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask just because I think this is brilliant. We validate first and then we move into that. Okay. How big is the threat? Is it, you know, the tiger coming out of the jungle or is it, you know, a little bit less than that? <laughs> um <laughs> And then we offer them all the evidence from their past of when they have been able to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. And now one thing to recognize is that they're not going to sit there and say, mom, thank you so much for reminding me that I am capable of solving this problem. I, right. It's so amazing that you did this for me. <laughs> they may push you, push back on that. No, I didn't. It, I, I don't have any, I can't trust myself. I won't be able to get through this, right? They may continue to spiral and that that's understandable. Like don't take that personally and get defensive yourself, right? Because what happens in our brain is we think, oh, I'm not doing it right. I'm not, I'm not being a good mom. I'm not getting it right. And then you, mom your <laughs> ego comes out. Yep. And then your mom guilt comes out. And when you're in your mom guilt, you can't be present and helping them ground at the moment, right? So just recognize that, that they may not say, <laughs> What a wonderful strategy you just taught me to handle my anxiety. Yeah, I'm still waiting I will for my do that every from time. my daughter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I think also what what's so good there um is that the grounding can maybe bring them down. Because I think it, even if we go straight to the the evidence file of what they're capable of achieving, they're still gonna think it's a tiger. The the validating can calm them. Mm-hmm. the breathing. So good. So good. We forget to breathe all the time and our teens forget to breathe all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So to model that for them mm-hmm. and then to try to get them out of it without waiting for our own validation. Right. We're doing it right. right. It ain't right. coming. Yeah. And you can even, and I've done this with my, my oldest is I've, I've explained our brain Right. And so you can share with them what their brain is doing when they're anxious. Right. So we have very simply two parts to our brain, the animal brain, which I call the brain and the thinking part of the brain. When you're in anxiety and you feel like you're a threat, right, there's a threat coming towards you. You are in the brain which does what an animal would do, right? It's going to fight, flight, freeze. And there's even a fourth called fawning, which is people, you know, people pleasing. But when they are in the animal part of the brain, they cannot be in the thinking part of the brain. Some people call it the downstairs and upstairs brain, whatever works to kind of get this visual for them to understand that when they're feeling anxious and worry and they're in all the what ifs, they're down here. So your strategies and you're pointing out their self-trust inventory to them probably isn't going to click, right? Because they need that thinking brain for that, that prefrontal cortex. So the validating calms the system. It lets the body know, okay, this isn't actually a threat. I'm safe, right? And then the grounding and the co-regulation helps them get down or get up more to their thinking brain, 
calm the nervous system and get to where they can even understand what you're trying to process with them. Yeah, so good. It's so good. And it's just so helpful. And it's so simple, right? I think we as moms, as soon as, and you said, you know, model the calm, as soon as they feel anxious, mom is very anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we are then anxious, we're just, we're just projecting back to them of like, oh, you should be, you should be really nervous. Right, right. And so to, for us to get calm. So I guess yeah, that, that sure. leads to a little bit of what, what would you advise a parent not to do? <laughs> uh, yeah. So not to do, right, would be to get in the pool with them, right? To swirl in that spiral with them um, and to also to let them see your anxiety. Uh, I say this with so much love as an anxious mom that has an anxious child. Um, we model that for them, right? And so the best way to help your kid is to for you to go first. If you recognize this in yourself, if you even related to the anxious spiral that we're talking about, you recognize that in yourself, the best way to help them is for you to go first and learn about your own brain and your own system and why anxiety is there and how to handle it, because then you can offer that to them. But I would say, yeah, what what not to do would be um, to invalidate it. Like, seriously, you're so sensitive. Nothing bad is going to happen. What is the big deal, right? Or forcing them uh, if they do have some health anxiety and they're worried about germs, forcing them to just go out into public without hand sanitizer or whatever it is. It's sort of like their um, their worry, right? Just kind of forcing it on them rather than walking side by side with them. Uh, not understanding anxiety, right? Because if you are someone that doesn't have it, but then you see it in your child, it's very easy to just say, oh, get it together. Like, this is no big deal. Come on. There's nothing to be worried about. That kind of thing is probably, um, I don't want to say harmful, but it, it's not helpful in them understanding their anxiety. And if they feel shame around it, they're going to stop sharing those those things with you. Right. And that's the last thing you want from teenagers. Right. Because they're already pulling back from you. Yeah, we can take the the closed door of the bedroom, but we don't want a closed door to their to their emotions and their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because then <laughs> then we really can't swoop in and fix anything. But more importantly, jokes aside, we can't be that safe space. Right. And that's really right. what we want for our yeah. teens. Yeah. I want to ask you something. I, I was thinking about this as as I thought about this conversation and really what is um, you know, fueling so much of the anxiety. I think we look at a lot of pressure. And I think about teenage girls, they certainly feel that pressure to not just perform academically, but be a good girl and be helpful around the house and, you know, do all the things Mm -hmm. all while looking a certain way and acting a certain way and achieving in a certain way. Mm -hmm. What role does mom, what, what role can mom play in alleviating some of that for her teen? Well, I think it's just being really honest with yourself as the mom, right? Um, what are my expectations and why do I have them? Is it society's expectation? I want to be able to say that my child got into this college and is doing five different extracurricular activities and is volunteering and right. Who says that they need to do all those things? Where's that coming from? And just getting super curious with yourself as to what expectations you may be modeling and putting on 
your child without realizing it and not in any intentional way. Um, we want them, we want everything for our kids, right? And so a lot of times that can get mixed up with and putting too much pressure on them to have the things that maybe we didn't have or accomplish the things that we didn't or or accomplish the things that we did do. If we are overachievers, we may be expecting that of them when that really isn't who they are and their feet, you know. Um, so my answer to everything is always be curious. If you're in curiosity, you can't be in your animal part of the brain. You can't be judgmental of them. And if you're just curious, like, you know, you have so much going on. How, how are you handling that? How does that feel? And see what they say, you know, and just open up those conversations. Yeah. But I'm sure that's a hard, you know, and you, you touch on this so beautifully and why you're such a, a gifted coach for moms. Some of that is really hard to let go of as a mother. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel that push pull within myself too. I think um, my kids, for me, academically, I've never been a real pusher. It was always, you know, kindness and social interaction and happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, success really has a a big range in my house and it's not limited to academic success. But that doesn't mean that my daughter still doesn't stress over tests and quizzes. And it's like, I'm not even putting this on her and she still has it. And she's eight. Right. Right. Uh, and I think that that brings up a great point. And I don't want to um, in any way put the message across that I'm blaming parents or they're putting, you know, the pressure on the kids. But I think it is good to check in with yourself. Like, do I have any, like even subconscious pressures that I'm putting on my kids that I don't even realize that I'm doing, but you bring up a great point of society's expectations and pressures. Right. And so uh, this of course brings in social media, uh, which can just be very detrimental in a lot of different areas, but that could be one of them, right? Seeing friends go to certain schools, uh, if they're, you know, upper teens and they're, you know, looking past high school, um, seeing what all their friends are doing and the recognition that they're getting and the acknowledgement that they're getting. Um, really, yeah, it can be, you know, maybe it makes sense. And my parents support me going to a community college or going to a technology school and not pursuing a four-year degree right now. Maybe my family is super supportive of that, but everyone outside of me still, that's the definition of success for them. What the name of the school that you go to, what you study, what, you know, um, so, you know, obviously societal expectations play a huge role too for that pressure. Absolutely. And then, and then, you know, you touch on something, right. We, we don't want to blame or shame moms and we don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. blame or shame parents if they do have expectations, but to remember that it is the teens, their life and they need to know what's right. And to make sure that your expectations align so there is an opportunity for her to to meet her own expectations, to create her own expectations. And that's not to say that, you know, then you can't, you don't hold up, you know, your end of the bargain in the house, or, you know, if you're going to school, you put in effort and you try. But I think it's always, yeah, curiosity and open conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And checking in with yourself, yeah, of what... Um, like you mentioned, success means a lot of different things in your home other than just academics. And so I think having a family uh, value, a, a list of family values, or what does it mean to be a good mom or a good student? And when we really come down to it, um, you know, what do kids need? They need to feel loved and heard and accepted for who they are. 
you know, they don't need to get straight A's to be successful, right? And if you have are having those conversations, well, like, this is actually more of a value for me. I just want them to be able to enjoy doing what they're doing and be motivated to um, study and, and figure out what they're going to do after school. I don't, they don't have to have straight A's to do that, right? So what's more of a value? Is it just getting the straight A's because... You know, is that really a value or or maybe it is, but is it aligned with what we as a family talked about and, and put on, you know, put in place? Yeah, that's such a great full circle, because if it isn't a value and it was one that was spoken about within the home, what a great reminder when your teen says, nope, the calculus test is a tiger. And it's like, but, you know, we, we talked about this, that this isn't of it's not an expectation of mine. Why, why isn't an expectation of yours? And then, yeah, no doubt there's the catastrophizing. Well, if I don't get an A in calculus, I won't get into the school. And I wanted to, and we, you know, look emotional forecast, 10 steps ahead. And it's like, okay, one test. I don't know if it'll be your whole life. And I don't know if you Mm want to put your whole life's future on that one test. feels like a really heavy weight you're carrying. Right, right. Well, I think this is all gold. Kate, anything else you want to add? I mean, to speak directly to a teen or how mom can take care of herself, because I know that, listen, no mother, no parent wants to see their child hurting and anxiety can hurt, not physically, but as I say, like it's a heavy burden. So any other tips, tools, words of wisdom you want to offer? Our listeners? Um, yeah, just, I mean, I think we've talked about all of the points, but just that reminder of really validating them and getting curious and checking in with your own stuff. <laughs> and I say this as someone that has had to check a lot of my own stuff. Um, doing the work yourself and recognizing when you're in the animal part of your brain, what that looks like, how that might contribute to anxiety for yourself or for your kids. Um, again, not in a blame way not in a shaming way, but just in a way of, I show up certain ways in certain situations. How is that impacting my, you know, family's ecosystem and what can I do about it? Right. Um, And then just understanding that, yes, anxiety is not something to get rid of. It's not, we, you know, we'd never get rid of anxiety. It is actually healthy to have some anxiety in different situations. Um, So maybe taking that pressure off of it, right. That it is actually a normal experience to have anxiety and just, yeah, just, I think being curious, being that safe space for your kids, recognizing that anxiety doesn't mean that they're broken. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them. Uh, It's a threat, you know, response in their body. And there are lots of tools out there to help them realize the level of the threat and then also help them realize that they are capable of getting through it. Oh, so good. Kate, tell, tell everyone where they can find you. I know you, you are so well-versed in anxiety, not just for teens, but also for, for moms too. And if you identify like Kate does and hello, me too, as an anxious parent, uh, I know, I know Kate has tools for you as well. Uh, so do you want to speak a little bit to those? 
Yeah, thank you. So I am at Reclaim with Kate on all social media. So Instagram, TikTok, and I host the Reclaim Your Life with Kate podcast, like you mentioned. And then I do offer a, a how to own your anxiety workshop. So it's three private coaching sessions with me one on one over Zoom. And in those three, three sessions, I, you know, we get really uh, detailed about how anxiety shows up for you um, in your family, in your life. And then I, teach, you know, in more depth of what I talked about here, how, how our brain uh, works, how anxiety comes up for us, why we have it. And then together we create a personalized toolbox with tools for you to own your anxiety because we're, we're not getting rid of it, but we can learn to own it. Um, so that workshop is available. And I know if people may think I've never done a workshop like that, or I'm just meeting Kate for the first time, I have a, I'll put a link that you can share in your show notes and they can schedule a free call with me to just ask all of the questions about the workshop and decide if we would be a good fit for each other. Oh, I think that's so good. And I also love something that you just offered of anxiety is not a, a one size fits all emotion. And I think we covered that too, that it's such a spectrum and certainly then how we all respond to it looks a little bit different. So I love that you're like, no, 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 we're going to create a custom toolbox for you. Because totally. Because like I journaling, there's so much research about journaling. I cannot do it. I can't just not. Right. So for me to sit here and say, we'll just go journal about it. That may not really meet your needs. So yeah, it's important to have a conversation about what's actually going to benefit you for sure. Kate, I'm feeling a collective eye roll from all of my clients that I'm like, but Do you we make should them journal. <laughs> and they're like, no, no. I'm like, I've, okay, tried. We gotta... I've tried so hard. It's just so not funny. for me. It's so funny. And, and then here I, I, I mean, I, I, I journals all over my house. I, it, it's very I wish I would. Me. Yeah. No, I, it's so many people I know it is for sure. But yeah, it's just that idea of finding what works for you for sure. Well, right, right. And then not to put the should or the guilt on you if that tool doesn't work for you. And not to put the should or the guilt on you when you've had one conversation with your team that the calculus test isn't a tiger and it didn't, you know, magically make them feel right. better. Right. Um, right. I think there's so many layers in, in you your um, breadth of experience from, you know, being a mom, being a certified coach, working with moms, and then the school psychologist, you brought so much to uh, the show. So I thank you so much. Thank you. It was great to be here. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And I will have all those uh, links for you in the show notes if you want to catch Kate. Um, and certainly you can tune into her more or get her one-on-one -on -one and get your your custom toolbox. My friends, yeah. why didn't they tell us that anxiety doesn't need to go away? That anxiety isn't always a problem. Anxiety is actually your brain doing what your brain is supposed to do. And that is to keep you safe. And we just need to learn how to manage it and live with it so that we can live the life we want. Our teens can live the lives they want and nothing stands in their way especially their anxiety. My friends, till next time. Love what you hear? Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. Or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.